Hello everyone, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. This is the Christian Evidences and Worldview radio program that helps Christians become thinkers and thinkers become Christians. Hello everyone, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And I'm Keith Kendricks. We'd like to uh, welcome all of our listeners to the show. We have a wonderful show lined up today. Uh, since this is actually a pre-recorded show, uh, we're doing this from the uh, First Baptist Church in Egg Harbor City, thanks to Pastor Paul Lort. And today we're going to be talking to mothers, as, as well as dads, about something that's near and dear to our hearts. Absolutely. So we won't be able to take calls today, but we do have a live audience. Let's hear from our audience. One of the most perplexing things facing the church in the United States, and the church worldwide for that matter, is the fact that we have kids that are being raised in the church and they're leaving the church two out of three. That's very disturbing. Yep. Why is that happening? Well, we're so, going to explore that. Exactly. Now, don't forget, you can check us out at the website, evidenceforfaith.com. We have podcasts that you can listen to of the past shows. You can look at speaking engagements that Mike and I are doing. And you can email us there, too. If you have questions that you'd like us to answer, you can email us from the website, Evidence for Faith, that's the number four, faith.com. Okay, well, uh, without uh, any further ado, I, I'd like to make one comment, Keith, that uh, this ministry is being supported in part by Grace Community Church uh, in Waterford Works. Uh, you can visit that website, check it out uh, at uh, a place for grace, that's a place, the number four, grace.org. Well, Mike, today we are gonna be talking about apostasy, kind of a disturbing word. The Bible says that in the end times there will be a great falling away. And while we're not claiming that this is the end times because people are falling away, yet when we look around the world, we see that what could clearly be called apostasy is happening. This actually goes back, Keith, to the 50s and the 60s when the God is Dead movement uh, started. Mm -hmm. In fact, since 1969, over 1,500 churches in England have closed their doors. Yeah, it's in Europe is preceding the United States, but if we're not careful, the same kind of thing could happen here. In fact, in England, British mosques now have larger attendance rates than the Church of England does. So this is a very, well, disturbing. disturbing. It should be taken as a cautionary warning that it's possible that the same things could happen here in the United States. In fact, in the United States, 61% of all young people who are raised in evangelical churches, such as this one, stop going to church altogether. Yeah, and that is some of the latest, one of the latest studies. There have been several studies out that have varied anywhere from 50% to 75%. But ladies, I just want you to think about that. I mean, imagine yourself Sunday morning in church, and I want you to look around at the children that are there. We're coming and going from Sunday school, from children's church, and just imagine that up to two-thirds of them, when they grow up, will not be back. That's a very scary thing. So what's happening? What's going on? Why is that happening? We're going to examine some of the reasons. I don't want you to think that this, these are the only reasons, because it is a very complex issue, and lots of reasons have been put forward. But we'll be discussing what we think are some of the main reasons that this is happening. And you know what's even more disturbing than uh, the fact that two-thirds of our kids are, are going to be missing in action? They're already gone, ladies. <clears throat> By the time they're in middle school and even high school, they're physically in church with you, but their mind is not. They've already left the church intellectually, mentally. Yeah, this is, this is one of the things that came out from one of the recent studies. Why is it that kids want to leave? Well, for one thing, they think that it's a waste of time, okay? There's no practical, they believe there's no practical application, that church, Christianity, uh, religious belief doesn't have any practical application to their lives. And basically, it comes down to the belief that it's probably not true. Mm. 
Now, when does this start? Everybody thinks, well, what happens? My kids, they come with me to church. They go to youth group. Everything is great. Then they go away to college. It's got to be that college. And last week I had a quote from one of the professors, a professor of philosophy, who said outright, published, that he is deliberately trying to change the minds of the kids he receives from you dangerous, bigoted, religious people. You're dangerous, and he wants to make sure he changes your kids' minds and separates your kids from your beliefs. And now he stated it openly, but lots of professors uh, don't state it openly and still have that as, as an approach. But so while colleges are actively recruiting your kids, their mindset, their philosophies, their approaches to life, the studies actually show that this begins much younger. Mm. So, you know, one, one of the problems that we have, we have our kids in youth group. Uh, they're being taught things from the Bible. They're taught Bible stories from a young age. But after the age of nine or ten, then peer pressure and other pressures come into uh, being. They start thinking a little bit more independently, and they're looking at them as myths and even fairy tales. And so we have to start teaching our kids at a younger age, 10, 11, 12, that what is in the Bible is actually truth, okay? But we also have to start teaching them the historical truths about Christ and the Bible, something a little bit more substantial than just Bible stories. If you are just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. I am Dr. Mike Larrakis. And we are before a live audience today. This is a Mother's Day breakfast on Saturday, so we're recording for today's Airplay, Airplay Sunday. Well, some of the studies show that what's happening is that kids start doubting their faith. The kids that are not going to come back to church after they are on their own, 40% of them begin to doubt their faith in junior high, okay, 40%. 45% begin to doubt their faith in high school. Now that's the vast majority. Only 11% of, now we're talking about adults who were raised in the church who have not returned to the church, only 11% began to doubt in college. So what this means is that when you see a child sitting in the pews, listening to the sermon in a very distracted way, staring out of the window, they are already gone. They are already just waiting until they can be on their own so they don't have to come back here. And that's what the church is facing today. There, there is one glimmer of hope, ladies, though. It's not all bad news. Uh, the potential good news here is that about 51% of these people later on will eventually come back, and especially at Christmas and Easter time. So that is the good news, uh, and hopefully, you know, if you train up a child, they will return and obviously uh, continue uh, with their faith walk, uh, perhaps at a later date. So let's take a look then at what do these people believe? What do adults who were raised in the church, who no longer attend church, who are not, they might call themselves religious, but certainly meeting them, talking to them, you wouldn't be able to tell that they were religious. Let's put as a general term, let's call it religious. So what do they believe? Well, in order of the majority of them, the majority, 66%, believe that they are going to go to heaven when they die, or they will even use the terminology that they are saved, okay? So now, it'd be nice if this statistic was broken down, but this would include all of those who think that everyone's gonna go to heaven when they die, okay? So it's not, you know, you might breathe a sigh of relief and say, oh, well, they, they think they're saved. That, that's a good sign. Perhaps they've had a profession of faith when they were a child in church, and that's a great sign. But Unfortunately, this includes 
everyone who thinks that all people are going to heaven, that just because you're alive, you're going to go to heaven when you die, um, these kinds of things. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are actually Christians. So that's 66% of them. Yeah, one of, one of the uh, big obstacles that we face in teaching our children uh, is that uh, the science teachers and or professors that they're rubbing elbows with through the years are teaching them things that are uh, contrary to what the Bible teaches us as well. And so this is a tremendous pressure. For instance, 57% uh, of these kids feel that the earth is millions of years old as opposed to young earth um, creationist who believes anywhere from 5,000 to 6,000 years old or somewhere in the thousands of year old range. Uh, so mostly uh, the scientific uh, facts that are being promoted to these kids uh, are not necessarily uh, factual, uh, they're assumptions, but they're being taught as fact. And the problem is not that the earth might actually be old, which um, in my opinion is a legitimate belief that a Christian can hold. I don't think you're a heretic if you think the earth is old. However, the problem is that because they're taught that the earth is old and because it appears from an initial reading of scripture that the earth is young, they see that as a problem that therefore the Bible is not true. So they either have to be shown the evidence that the earth actually is young or if you don't believe that, you believe that the earth is old, they have to be shown how these two views can be harmonized and show that, that it does not matter ultimately how old the earth is, right? You don't have to believe that the earth is young to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So, so that's one of the big issues. Age of the earth, even if your children never mention it, even if they never come to you and say, hey, mom, dad, how old is the earth? Believe me, they already are thinking about this. And unfortunately, one of the conclusions they come to is because the earth is old, the Bible must not be true. Yeah, if you shoot a, found, if you shoot a hole in the foundation of biblical truth, starting with Genesis. So if you, if you take a, a mortar and blow up the foundation of a building, what happens? The entire thing collapses. So if you shoot a hole in the foundation of the Bible, uh, at, the, at the point of Genesis, the beginning of the world, then the kids have a hard time holding on to what's in the rest of the Bible. One of the other things that was discovered is that 52% believe that premarital sex is okay. okay now, now, just from a medical point of view, if I can throw this in there, uh, premarital sex today is a very, very dangerous proposition for any young individuals. Uh, with the advent of all of the uh, sexually transmitted diseases that we're dealing with today, and we're, at last count there were 28 of them, many of them are permanent and not curable. Controllable, yes, but not curable. That is a problem. So anybody who, as a parent, is espousing that their children, you know, teenage children, it's okay, here, just wear a condom. Condoms are not foolproof. In fact, fools wear condoms, okay? We, we promote saved sex, not safe sex. There's no such thing as safe sex, even with a condom. So I tell my kids in the practice about saved sex. You can't catch a venereal disease if you're not doing it. So you might ask, well, how does this statistic fit into what we're talking about today? And it has to do with the idea that some kids, some people also, but we're talking specifically about kids today, will as their ideas begin to change and as time goes by and they begin to build up these doubts and they finally they may finally decide that Christianity is not for them then this will later then when they go away to college manifest itself in a changing behavior so they will begin to adopt the practices of the world around them but there's also a different thing that happens and that is the the child who does maintain his beliefs throughout young ages and begins as they get older, gets involved with activities that they begin to realize are not right. And now they come to this crisis and because they're doing things, maybe experimenting with alcohol, experimenting with drugs or experimenting with sex, and they realize that, they, that this is contrary to their beliefs so then because of their behavior, 
they begin to change their beliefs. So there's this duality thing going on. Some people, they're led by their beliefs and what they think is true leads to behaviors. The other people, it's their behavior actually causes them to change how they think. So, so the attraction of uh, the pleasures of this world, and of course we know this from scripture, uh, does influence kids and what they believe. Now, getting, getting back to uh, scriptural uh, problems with today's young people, a um, couple of other tidbits. 40% of the young people today believe that the Bible has errors, okay? 24% believe that the Bible was written by men and is not necessarily the inspired word of God. And 18% of these people, young people, believe that it was not translated correctly. You know, there's so many translations to pick. Which one is the best one? You know what the best answer to that is, ladies? The one that's read, the one that's not collecting dust on the shelf. That's the best translation for, for an individual. So we have to get uh, our kids into um, that. And finally, 15% of the young people believe that the Bible actually contradicts itself. Now, there have been many, many arguments put forth and examples rendered, all of which have been refuted, okay? So no matter what they believe as far as the contradiction goes, we can find a good argument for these young people that says that this, in fact, is not a contradiction, that the contradiction itself is something that's out of context in an exegesis argument. So, so these issues, all of these, this grouping, we could put into ideas about Bible errors. All of that is a teaching matter. All of that can be taught to our kids and explained to them that that's not true. There's plenty of evidence that shows how accurate the Bible is, how reliable the Bible is. And if you'd like to listen to some of the evidence for that, we've had, we have that on our podcasts at evidenceforfaith.com. And if you are just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Arrakis. You cannot call in today because we are doing a recorded uh, show today which was recorded Saturday at a Mother's Day breakfast with the ladies here in our audience. And finally, Keith, two other little tidbits uh, as far as young people leaving the church today. 7% uh, cite reasons for them leaving the faith because there's so much suffering in the world. How is it that a good and gracious and loving God could allow all of this suffering to happen in the world? Therefore, God can't exist. And um, so, so we need to be able to answer that. Right. We need to be able to explain that and recognize this means even if they don't ask you, because this is what they're thinking. When they're sitting in the pew, bored to tears, they're thinking about the suffering in the world and how that proves that there is no such thing as a loving God. Okay? Now, one of the final things was that Christians don't live according to the Bible. So that's the hypocrisy charge. Interestingly enough, I thought was that this is only 4%. So of the adults who were raised in the church who do not come back, only 4% of them said that it's because Christians don't live according to the Bible. So that's a good sign but it's still an issue for some. But if they were raised in the church, it's likely that they met many people who did live by the Bible. But for some of them, that was a big issue. So what's the deal? What went wrong? What do we do about it? Well, one of the problems is that nobody in the church has addressed any of these issues, okay? Any of these things that we just talked about in outline in percentage form has never really been addressed uh, at the church level. Uh, since it's not talked about, then the doubts um, uh, were never addressed, answered, and corrected, or at least the kids weren't set back on track. Uh, many times there were no assumed answers, uh, but with Christian apologetics today, there's so many more resources available and answers that can be given to any of these um, um, feelings that there, there's a problem, okay? Yeah, um, see, the, the issue is that when a kid is wondering about these questions, if he doesn't hear his parents talking about the topic and telling them that there are answers, he may be reluctant to ask the question, hey, 
it seems to me maybe the Bible's not so reliable, right? What kid wants to ask their parents that? So after a long enough period of time, never hearing anyone talk about it, they assume that there is no answer. At that point, they no longer even ask the question because they've assumed that there isn't an answer, so why ask the question? I remember as a young child being brought up in the church and I believed that you couldn't know that God exists because I thought to myself, well, God's a spirit. We live in a physical world. Physical and spirit, they, they don't mix, right? There's no evidence for anything spiritual. So therefore, God, you can't know whether God exists. If you can't know that God exists, if I can't know God exists, nobody else can either. My parents don't know whether or not God exists. My pastor doesn't know whether or not God exists. So what's he doing? He's just pretending. He's just hoping that God exists so that when he dies, if he's right, he'll go to heaven. So guess what? That's what I thought. No evidence that God exists. I'll just be a Christian because maybe it's true. You know, that's interesting, Keith, because um, with apologetics, there are contenders for the faith as opposed to the pretender for the faith. That's what Keith was talking about there. What apologetics is all about is making everybody a contender for the faith to be able to come up with the answers for people when tough questions are asked. One of the problems with the church today, though, is that we're having fun. It's a club for many people. For kids you know, especially. Yeah, we concentrate on music and worship and fun. Uh, and we're not teaching our kids uh, Bible history. We're teaching them Bible stories, which amount to fairy tales and myths, just like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. As they get older, they grow out of that. So we have to get into something that's got a little bit more uh, substance to it. Right. And that's what we're all about. We teach our kids about David and Goliath, right? Do we teach it? Do we tell them what year B.C. this occurred? Well, no, because that would mean it was actual history. No, this is just a story from the Bible. And so that's what our children learn, that there are these neat stories. And so the Bible sits on the shelf next to Hans Christian Andersen, who also has a bunch of neat stories that tell things about life. You know, the other thing, Keith, is that there's a big difference between claiming that the Bible is true versus proving it. Our job as apologists, that's you and me, it's all of us collectively, the church. We have to be able to prove that what's happening and, and being taught in the Bible is actually true. We have to make it relevant. We have to support it with scientific fact and data, which is what Keith and I are going to do at the end of this show. We're going to take about 10 minutes to uh, give you some substantial uh, genetic evidence that things that are in the Bible are actually factual. And the other thing that we have to do is we have to pay attention to the particular attacks that Satan is delivering to the church at a particular time. So what are the driving issues today? What is happening now? What are, our, what are the attacks right now going on about the reliability of the Bible? Uh, those are the kinds of things that we have to pay attention. We have to, when you read them in the paper, don't you think your kids read that too? You have to address it right then. Okay. So we've used the word apologetics a lot today, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. It's actually a Greek word, and it means a legal defense, just the same way as that if you had a lawyer, you were going to court, he's going to defend you with good argumentation and with fact. Right. And the Bible commands us to defend the faith, right? That word defense is apologia. It means like a, a lawyer. So you imagine yourself as a lawyer with someone, a defendant, and you are going to defend it. That is Christianity. How do you do that? Present. How does a lawyer defend his client? By presenting evidence, by using good argumentation, right? That's, how, that's what we need to do, defend the faith. 1 Peter 3.15 commands this. Uh, it says this, be set apart uh, but be set apart the Messiah as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone 
who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And Philippians 1, 7 says, you are all partners with me in grace in the defense and establishment of the gospel. That is a command for everyone. You know, apologetics uh, through the history of Christianity has been a central uh, theme to spreading the gospel throughout history. Now, we, when you go back 100 years after Christ, the defense was very uh, much, I would say, probably easier than it is today because that generation of people knew firsthand and there were firsthand witnesses who saw what happened. You know, the miracles that Christ uh, performed while he was walking on the earth. They were a part of that resurrection. You know, the, the apostles knew it, they were there, they saw it. So it was, it was a passion for them because they were eyewitnesses. A little harder for us because we're many steps removed, but there's so much stuff that we have available to us, so much in the way of resources that we can use to help give that uh, solid argument for people and to they, believe. And that body of knowledge, that the evidence, the arguments is so powerful that it will truly overwhelm every rival philosophy, every rival uh, religion that our children might be interested in, might be hearing about at school, might be thinking about. There is no comparison between the arguments that the on the other side of this court case that you ought to become a Buddhist or you ought to become an atheist. Believe me, we have far more evidence, far better arguments. There's no comparison. And once you get uh, versed and schooled in these arguments, it gives you the confidence to be able to share the gospel uh, without, uh, without quaking, without uh, getting nervous uh, because it becomes such a part of uh, what you're doing and living and thinking. Um, it helps Christians to overcome uh, times of doubt, mm. times of hard, hard times. You know, many people are struggling right now with uh, jobs, joblessness, uh, money, uh, finances. Uh, we have an ever-present help and a strength that we can rely on, not to mention the church family. You know, when times are really tough and, and people are in trouble, the church is one of the first uh, groups to help out. Uh, so it's, very, very, it's, a, it's a very important part of today's culture, but it's being lost. And you need to know these things for when times of trouble come to your family and to yourself. You know, when you are on that long airline flight by yourself thinking about the problems that you have, and you begin to wonder, wow, is God really there? Is Christianity really true? You can think back to the evidences that you know about, to the argumentation and say, yes, I know absolutely, positively that God exists. I know for a fact that the Bible is reliable and accurate. I know that Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead. So those are the kinds of things that we'll be talking about in future episodes of this show, Evidence for Faith. And if you're just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And we, this is a recorded show today, so we can't take any calls, but we are before a live audience at First Baptist Church in Egg Harbor City at a Women's Day breakfast, everyone. So Keith, what are some of the stumbling blocks that our young people are facing when they start rubbing elbows with uh, the secular world, the secular media, Hollywood, and uh, all of the other influences that are brought to bear on their, their young faith, but vulnerable faith? Well, they begin to pick up some of the false beliefs that are out there in the world. And unfortunately, this not only affects our children, but it also affects us. Uh, we pick up these false beliefs and we kind of hold them together with Christian beliefs, and we don't realize that they conflict. We don't realize that there are strong reasons to recognize that these are false beliefs. As an example, one of them, ever hear this before? What's true for you is not necessarily true for me, but what's true for me is not necessarily true for you. Okay, guess what? There are actually Christians who believe that. And that is a completely false belief. Along the same lines, Keith, this is the one that I've heard many, many times in my own office as, as I have spiritual discussions with my patients. Oh, there, there are so many other ways to the top of the mountain. You know, so it really doesn't matter. Your way is good. 
but eventually I'll find my way to the top of the mountain too. Yep. Now, unfortunately, we know better than that. You know, um, narrow is the gate and wide is the path to destruction. There's only one way, you know? Here's another one. People will say that faith and reason are opposites. They're opposed to each other. If I give someone reasons to believe, that diminishes their faith. That is a false belief. That is not true. Uh, the, other, the other caveat there, Keith, is that by saying to you, well, let's see, you're faithful, you have a good faith, but you're not reasonable and you're not rational, therefore you must be an imbecile. You know, that's really what is below that, below the surface of mm -hmm. that commentary. Yeah, those Christians have only blind faith. Yes. And pay no attention to them. A parallel to the faith and reason uh, commentary is this one, and this is the one that I, I come uh, very strong with. Uh, science and religion are mutually exclusive. That used to be my uh, stumbling block before I became a believer in 1996. Being a man of science, you know, with two, two science degrees as an undergrad and, of course, the medical degree, I, I was all about my own false religion, and that was science and medicine, okay? So being, being of a scientific mind, I had no place for religion, okay, because they were mutually exclusive. You can't be one and be the, be, be the other one simultaneously. Why well, know better than that now? because I know the entire set of truths from both sides. So some other examples of false beliefs. There's no evidence that God exists. Sorry, false. Miracles can't actually happen. Sorry, false. All religions teach basically the same thing. Sorry, that's false. The Bible wasn't written, I just heard this one recently, the Bible wasn't written until hundreds of years after the facts. Sorry, that is a false belief. Did you know that the Apostle Paul started writing his epistles 12 to 15 years after Christ's resurrection? So when somebody says that to you, oh, it was written hundreds of years later, that's absolutely false. Paul started writing very quickly within that time frame. And there's no other document of antiquity going back 2,000 years or more that has more substance to it than, than the, the Christian Bible. Now, if you... Look carefully from now on when you're doing your Bible study, reading through the New Testament and Acts. I want you to start noticing how often, ooh, my grammar teacher is going to yell at me for that. How often, uh, yes, applause over there. How often evidence is presented in the scriptures. If you watch when Paul, when the apostles are witnessing to others, what do they do? They present evidence. They give argumentation so that people would come to Christ. So potential converts also are called into repentance based on historical facts, okay? Watch how this occurs when you're reading your Bible. The facts of the resurrection, the facts that the miracles occurred. The fact that Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. All of these are very clearly used by the apostles in order to convince people that they ought to become followers of Jesus Christ. One of the uh, evidences that Paul used um, um, uh, with the Greeks, uh, since I'm Greek, I, I love this. It was the Mars Hill uh, commentary when he was uh, meeting the Greeks in a temple with all these gods that the Greeks had set up. But there was one God that was unnamed, okay? And Paul said, I know this God. I know him personally. He is the God, uh, and basically the son, uh, the son of God was Jesus Christ. And many Greeks came to a living faith at that point in time because Paul was able to meet them on their level, in their common ground, in their temple, uh, to tell them that he knew this God that they had not yet known or named. Because remember, theirs was a mythical mindset, okay, based on myth. Paul presented them with the gospel facts and uh, the God of the Bible and the, the God of miracles. So what we're saying, ladies, is that we need to follow the example of the apostles. We need to give evidences. We need to give good arguments. It is not enough to tell people that something is true. You have to prove it to them. That's what the point is. So how do we fix this problem? 
That's the question of the day. You're asking me? Yes. Well, I um, thought you knew the answer. Uh, well, actually, I'm, I'm throwing it out rhetorically to the ladies today as well. Okay. Uh, we're, we're, we're all about learning about defending the faith, mm -hmm. okay, giving you the arguments, right, and allowing you to be the, um, the tool that God intended you to be uh, for the kingdom. Learn how to answer those tough questions. Any of you have in the back of your mind a tough question that you have not ever asked anybody? Okay, I'm seeing some shaking heads. Anybody got one in the back of their mind that, you know, just kind of bugs them? I wish I knew the answer to this one. Yeah, or you're afraid to actually ask Pastor Paul. You can ask us. We won't tell Paul. Right. <laughs> so those are the kinds of questions that you have to be prepared to answer for your kids, even though they don't ask. And you know, the, the interesting thing is the more you get into uh, apologetics and reading uh, facts and figures and evidences and so forth, there are going to be little tidbits that you find powerful, and you're going to share them with your children mm -hmm. and say, hey, look at this. Look what I just read today. What do you think about this? It's a way of drawing them into conversation as well, and it'll reinforce their belief in something uh, that they've been taught from uh, you know childhood days, that what's in the Bible is actually good stuff. And, and another issue that we need to be careful about is actually living the life, mm. actually living the Christian life when we're at home, because our kids see us both in church and outside of church, and they have to see that we are not hypocrites ourselves, because that is what they will assume all Christians are like if we present contrary views and live double lives. So we don't want to do that. So pay attention to the arguments, pay attention to the evidence, learn them, teach them to your kids, and remember to pay attention to the latest attacks. What is going on right now? How is Satan attacking the church right now? So Keith, earlier on I, I mentioned to the, uh, the ladies that we were gonna give them some uh, genetic evidences that what's in the Bible is actually true. And this is modern day research that uh, will allow you to uh, be more um, powerful in your arguments when topics like this do come up. For instance, Keith, tell me, what is mitochondrial Eve? Well, have any of you heard of mitochondrial Eve? Who knows? Raise your hand if you know who mitochondrial Eve is. See a couple of hands okay. out there. That's good. All right. Good. Well, it's been, let's talk about um, biologically what's going on. We all know about DNA being in the nucleus of every cell, okay? In the nucleus of every cell in your body. Well, there's also a little bit of DNA in a little organ inside the cell that's not the nucleus, okay? This is the energy factory of the cell. It's called the mitochondria. And there's a little bit of DNA that is stored there that does not mix with the DNA inside the nucleus. It's separate and carries genetic information. Now, because the mother, every mother provides the original egg cell, that contains the mitochondria. So mitochondrial DNA is only passed down to our children through mothers, okay? That means that we can trace by examining the DNA and seeing the differences between the women of today, we can learn an awful lot about the history of the human race. One of the things we learn is that mitochondrial DNA is very similar to each other. All across the world, people's mitochondrial DNA is very, very similar. So what does that mean? That means that there is very little mutational difference. That means that there has been a very short period of time has passed between uh, people's, the generations of human beings that has been spread out over the earth. So. The Bible tells us that there is one parent couple 
Adam and Eve. And that everyone on earth came from that, that original parent. Well, we know scientifically now that every single person on earth came from one single woman in the recent past. So scientists have dubbed her mitochondrial Eve. We call her, she was the mother of us all. So, so these genetic uh, studies, these, these things that have been going on that the scientists have been doing, in fact, support the biblical story. One of the things that they also show is that there was a genetic bottleneck recently in the past. Now, what that means is a bottleneck, you know, is uh, it starts at the base large, and then as it approaches the neck of the bottle, it gets very narrow. Now, they can detect that by studying the genes. So they have discovered that in the past, there was a genetic bottleneck. Now, does anything in the Bible tell you about some time in the past when a large group of human beings was suddenly reduced to only a small number of human beings. And then everyone alive today came from that small number of human beings. We're gonna get some response out of this audience, I don't care what. The flood, I heard it. Yeah. yeah. So that also matches the biblical explanation of how there was a small number, there was a large number of people, it was reduced to a small number, and then expanded again to a large number. So that is the genetic bottleneck. Now, one other thing that they've discovered is that they've been able to tell, looking at the genetic differences between males and females, because there's another part of males that's only passed down in the, the male line. Any idea? What that is, Mike? I'm not sure where you're leading me. The male gene. Okay, it's got to be the sex chromosome. Correct. <laughs> now that... That would be the Y chromosome. Are you asking me why? Okay, got it. So by comparing, doing similar studies on the Y chromosome, we find out that there is also an original male father. Okay? Now, who is the last common descendant according to the Bible? Last common male descendant. After the bottleneck. No. Well, you tell me. It's Noah. Yeah, you might have thought it's Adam. But it's actually Noah. And genetically, they can tell that the uh, last common male uh, ancestor is more recent than the last common female ancestor. So that again matches with the story of scripture. So one other final thing is that these uh, divergences, if they look at the how the different mitochondrial DNA differ from across the population, and they assume genetic differences based on evolutionary timescales, then what happens is you wind up with mitochondrial Eve being somewhere between 100,000 and 200,000 years ago. But that's based on an estimate, which is based on a theory. What's happened is that in 1997, uh, there was a paper published in Nature Genetics prestigious scientific journal where they compared the mitochondrial DNA of many mother-child-grandchild pairs and they got the actual rate of genetic change over time. Now if you plug that genetic rate of change over time into the population we can determine how long it would have taken for all the differences to have occurred. And that difference turns out to be 6,500 years ago. Now that is actually published, that is the number published by these scientists in Nature Genetics. 
So there again, we have an incredibly strong correlation between the science and what the Bible says. Well, Keith, I, I actually find that uh, extremely fascinating and powerful. Here's the point, ladies. <clears throat> if the kids are in high school and they're being made fun of because they're Christians and they believe that junk in the Bible, all they have to do is say to these kids, tell me what you know about mitochondrial Eve, and I'll show you that what's in the Bible is true. And they'll say, mitochondrial what? You know? So if the kids knew something along these lines, they're armed and they're dangerous, okay? So I think that's what apologetics is all about. It also makes for um, rendering the Bible as more factual and reliable, okay? But we have to frame it in the context of scientific research of the day because that's what the kids are being fed in school, whether it's high school or college. So we have to have the kids be able to relate what's in the Bible and what they're being taught in university or even high school uh, as being correct, okay? And they can also challenge their teachers and or their professors. And many of their teachers, by the way, don't even know about mitochondrial Eve because it's not something that the secular uh, profession wants these teachers to know about because it's too close to the truth and would damage the theories of uh, evolution, okay? Now, Mike, uh, you've also brought an evidence that mm -hmm. can be used as an apologetic argument mm -hmm. for the truth of the Bible. So tell us about... Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to talk about Eve um, as literally the first cloning experiment. Okay, every one of you has read Genesis, and we're going to go back to the second chapter, verses um, 21 and 22. And you've read it before, I'll just uh, paraphrase it. God put Adam into a deep sleep. Well, in my profession, we call that anesthesia. Um, God took Adam's rib, okay? We call that surgery. Uh, God closed the flesh, okay? He sutured the wound shut in today's um, technique. Uh, and then from that, he created Eve. Now, I remember reading that before I became a believer, and I thought to myself, what a bunch of baloney. Give me a break. Come on. I mean, our kids are reading the same stuff, folks, and having the same reaction. I got news for you. Okay, now here, something very dramatic happened in 1995. Many of you remember this. This was called Dolly the Sheep. She was the first cloning experiment in Scotland. Anybody remember that 15 years ago? All right, so Dolly was cloned from her mother, and Dolly, interestingly enough, was genetically the same age as her mother when she was born. And this has to do with uh, the, the, the genetic makeup and the, the number of cellular divisions that can happen in the uh, cloned offspring, okay? So the number of cellular divisions that were capable of happening uh, at that point in time for the offspring was the same as the mother, so therefore they were genetically the same age, although unfortunately, Dolly did die before her mother. Dolly only lived about five years. She died in year 2000 or 2001, and she was actually a, a, a genetic nightmare. Uh, she had many, many uh, diseases and actually died before the parent sheep. But anyway, the point I'm making is that the, 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 the science behind cloning took off with Dolly, okay? And then I, I started looking at that uh, verse in Genesis about the cloning experiment completely differently. You see, because I put together finally that stem cells occur in the bone marrow. Anybody hear of a stem cell transplant? They take it from the bone marrow, don't they? We know that multipotent stem cells occur in four different regions, okay? Scientists today can get multipotent stem cells from four places, okay? They can get it from the bone marrow. They can get it from fetal parts that are the products of an abortion, as horrible as that sounds but we get stem cells from aborted fetal parts. Uh, they can get it from cord blood. Every, every one of you ladies who had a baby, they milk the cord, the umbilical cord, and put that blood aside, okay? And they do the blood typing on the baby, the ABO and RH typing, and see if it's gonna be a, an RH baby and whether or not you gotta get a Rogam shot and all those things to prevent the blue baby syndrome. Um, uh, and then finally, we have embryonic stem cells. Embryonic stem cells are are cells that are fertilized eggs that are put into a freeze, into a freezer, and saved for future implantation and, for, and, and uh, pregnancy, okay? Infertile couples typically will have embryonic stem cells put into a freezer and then implanted at a later time to have a baby, okay? These are infertile couples that are struggling, okay? Now, we as Christians have a hard time with some of these things because we believe that the embryo is living being, okay? And we also don't believe in abortion. 
Now, politically speaking, it's a hot topic. Science can get stem cells from cord blood, and they can get it um, from bone marrow. There's really no reason to take aborted fetal parts or um, uh, embryonic stem cells. Okay, that's, that's political controversy. Put that aside. Uh, basically, what I'm saying here is that Eve was cloned from Adam. Okay, God took that bone marrow out of Adam's rib and cloned a perfect match for Adam. Now, there was a little sex thing that had to happen. Adam had an XY, that made him a male. Eve is an XX, right, to make her a female. So he took two X's from Adam, made Eve, perfect match, so that they could reduplicate, populate, populate the earth, okay? Now, the interesting thing I've always found about this is that it was done in the correct order. If Eve was the first living being on the planet Earth, could you have cloned Adam from Eve? And the answer is no, because there's no Y chromosome. Now, apart from supernatural creation, which is what this was all about, I mean, God could have done anything. But when you look at it from a scientific perspective, the timing was correct. You know, the, the male first was correct, and then the female. So what's in the Bible there is actually factual and true. When you look at it, it lines up correctly with science. So if your kids knew this kind of stuff, then they would say, wow, it is correct. Yeah, it is correct. It works. It fits. You know, the point is, is that what's in the Bible is true. The Bible is not an exhaustive compendium of all truth and all fact. But what we want you to know today that what's in the Bible is actually true. God didn't give us everything that, that the, the world and man would discover on earth, but what he gave us were little tidbits of things that we can rely on and know as truth. So you may be thinking, well, you know, it's the Holy Spirit's job to save people, but it is our job to bear witness to the truth. And you will be immensely helped both personally um, and when dealing with your children by learning apologetic truths, apologetic arguments, it will help you to transform your life, but also the lives of your children, and that will result in the transformation of society. So you have been listening today to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Arrakis. And join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for more reasons to believe, and always remember that the best reason for believing Christianity is because it's true.